In this church season of Epiphany at St. James's, we will be hearing poems primarily written by members of our own congregation. Poetry in its beauty and artistry is yet another way that God shows us new things, offering epiphanies. Um, this week our poem is called Inoculation and is written by Susan Donnelly. Cotton Mather studied smallpox for a while, instead of sin. Boston was rife with it. Not being ill himself, thank Providence, but one day asking his slave Onesimus if he'd ever had the pox, to which Onesimus replied, yes and no. Not insubordinate or anything of the kind, but playful, or perhaps amusing, as one saying to another, Consider how a man can take inside all manner of disease and still survive. Then graciously, when Mather asked again, My mother bore me in the southern wild. She scratched my skin and I got sick but lived to come here, free of smallpox, as your slave. The Holy Gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Mark. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stop, stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. In 2003, that little inconsequential rag known as the New Yorker published that poem that I read for you all a few moments ago, written by our own Susan Donnelly. I was stunned when I read it early this week at how it was so prescient. Uh, in 2020, we talked about the double pandemics of disease and racism in our country. Susan was thinking and writing beautifully about that 20 years ago. The epiphanies of 2020, and of this past week in our country, have been epiphanies of disease and racism, and also epiphanies of violence and of hatred, epiphanies of deep inequalities woven into the fabric and identity of America, epiphanies of our human finitude and mortality in the face of disease. Epiphanies of a deeply broken and deeply divided country. 
epiphanies that debunk American myths of constant progress. The, the America is all good with very little that needs change. And there have also been, of course, epiphanies about the great power of lies and untruth. As I record this sermon, it's Friday. Two days ago, rioters who support President Trump at his incitement ransacked the Capitol. Call it coup, call it sedition, call it terrorism. I don't know what the best label is. I just know it's horrific. And while on some level it's shocking, on another level it also feels unsurprising given the last year and the last four years we've had. There's still some part of me that hopes that this is just the sort of final collective tantrums as the president leaves office. But I'm also pretty sure that optimism is not well-founded. That the ugliness that has been unleashed in our country will not go away anytime soon, if at all. You know, I think the old American norms of some level of civility and decency have been stripped away as values that can hold our nation together in its difference. And so now we probably need to look to places like Northern Ireland and South Africa and Palestine, Israel, to see how we can be a people amid such division and violence. Hopefully, maybe I'm being dramatic and overstating things here. I am less than 48 hours removed from watching those videos from the Capitol. But I certainly don't think that all these things are just going to go away. In the last few weeks, I've seen a lot of images and social media posts saying things like good riddance to 2020. Or maybe they used uh, more sharp language than that, the sort of not safe for church language to 2020. And I get that instinct. 2020 was terrible. And we need to some way to express the emotion of that. For many of us, 2020 was the worst year of our lives. But I also worry a little, particularly for us folks that are white, that in saying good riddance to 2020, we're tacitly giving ourselves some permission to see 2020 as an aberration that we can forget about. To forget about all those epiphanies of evil that 2020 showed us. And so to stop working for justice and wrestling with our own complicity in injustice. I was thinking this week of how often never forget 9-11 has been said. Maybe never forget 2020 is more important to say than that. Or certainly more important than good riddance to 2020. All of this horror can feel sort of new on some level. But, but actually, I don't know that any of it is really all that new. Today's first scripture reading um, comes from the first few sentences of the Bible, Genesis 1. Again, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a, was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the waters, then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. The Bible starts in terrifying chaos and darkness. But even in that chaos, a wind of hope from God sweeps over it all. And then God draws light out of that darkness. It's worth knowing that this biblical story was probably written from people in the Babylonian exile. People who had, in violence and war, been dragged away from their homeland. They had absolutely lost the country they knew in violence. A biblical scholar I read this week pointed out that the authors were in their own formless void and darkness. They didn't have any reason to see that they would be able to go home. There was no reason rationally for hope. And yet they did. In that place, they told this story of a God who sweeps over the waters and who brings life-giving good brands of order out of chaos and who brings light out of darkness. So Genesis 1 is, at its core, not just a simple origin story about the beginnings of history, but rather a story about all history. That yes, there is dark chaos all throughout time, all throughout history, and all throughout our lives. And yet God's Spirit is always there in it with us. And God's always going to draw light and goodness out of it. This is the whole biblical narrative, right? The Hebrew people are trapped in Egypt, and God leads them through the waters of the Red Sea to the Promised Land. The Babylonian exiles are taken from that promised land. They see no possible way home, but God makes for them a way home. And then as our Christian tradition carries on this narrative, God sent Jesus, whose message of a status quo shattering love got him killed by the powers that be, and even out of the darkness of death, God raised Jesus Christ to new life. And then we, in the waters of baptism, share in that journey from death to new life, from darkness to light. It's all sort of captured there in those first few lines of Genesis. We don't get to know where things are headed. We don't get to know when this chaos will end or the next will start. But we do know that God is with us in the chaos and brings us out of it in ways that we cannot imagine are possible. The earth was, and sometimes is, a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. <laughs>